Hey, how's it hanging? This is Grant for Podcast of the Day, and I got a brand new podcast for you. I actually am really pumped about this one, as I always am for all the podcasts that we feature on here, but this one especially is is really cool, definitely a unique idea, and I can't wait to show you. Social Media and Politics is the name of the podcast of the day today. It's all about how social media and politics interact with one another. Now, with social media being a brand new thing, and by social media I'm talking like Twitter, Facebook, all the internet mediums, how that has transformed politics is the whole goal of the show. Now, it is a ton of different things. Sometimes there are interviews with different people who are in charge of social media at certain places. Other times, it's just a deep look into uh, certain things that have happened with social media and politics, and sometimes it's just totally different. Um, you you kind of have to look through and see for yourself and look through their episode feed to really understand uh, what it's all about. Now, it's put together by a guy named Michael Bassetta. He's a political scientist, and he's out at the University of Copenhagen overseas right now. And um, I got to speak with him, actually, about doing the podcast, and it was kind of a unique interview because I felt like... Rather than talk about the podcast, I sort of just asked for his thoughts on a lot of different things on social media. That'll come later. First up, I have some clips for you from a very good episode with Donald Trump's digital director, actually, um, during his 2016 presidential campaign. Among other things, uh, it's it's a very cool episode, and I can't wait to show you it. So here it is. You are now listening to a podcast made in collaboration with the Copenhagen College Radio. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to episode 24 of the Social Media and Politics Podcast, bringing you expert insights into how social media is changing the political game. I'm your host, Michael Bassetta, political scientist at the University of Copenhagen. For more news and updates relating to social media and politics, you can follow us on Twitter at SMNP Podcast and like our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash social media and politics podcast. All right. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, thanks for telling a friend about the show. And special thanks to those of you who have left us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, helping us game those algorithms. Uh, really appreciate that. And nothing brings me greater joy than seeing our podcast ahead of Alex Jones's InfoWars, um, at least in Denmark. So thank you for that. Got a real treat for you guys this week. Uh, I'm going to be speaking with Matthew Ozkowski. He is head of product at Cambridge Analytica, which is a company you may have heard of recently. They've been in the news a lot. And Matt was also the chief digital officer for the Scott Walker campaign in the latest U.S. elections. And after Scott Walker dropped out, switched over to heading digital for Donald Trump's campaign. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time out and welcome to the Social Media and Politics podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. All right. So before we get into the host of questions I have for you about the Walker and Trump campaigns, I'm curious about your professional background. Have you always been working with political campaigns and data analytics? Yeah. So my background uh, really started with computer science. Um, I was a self-taught programmer throughout high school and college, uh, was really kind of into the tech nerd scene, I suppose and thought I would always pursue a job probably somewhere more typical like in New York or Silicon Valley at some type of startup. But towards the end of my tenure of college, I really caught this bug for US political campaigns. And, and if you talk to anyone who works in the industry, it certainly is a bug. 
And um, my first major campaign that I ever worked on actually was was for Senator John McCain for his presidential run in 2008. And I was one of, of four engineers at the RNC at that point in time. And after that race played itself out, I was like, that was fun. I'm going to go do something else. And fast forward almost 10 years later, and I'm, I'm still at the intersection of where technology meets campaigns. Was digital more of a focus for Trump than it would have been for the for the Hillary campaign? Or how important was digital for the for the Trump team? Yeah, for the better part of the last eight years, Republicans have taken a pretty big shellacking um, when it comes to data, digital and technology in our space. I mean, the Obama team really pushed the envelope and kind of modernized the techniques that we see today in campaigning. But Republicans certainly caught up this year. And I wouldn't say that it was more of an emphasis on the Trump campaign because Hillary had massive teams. Like her data team was bigger than ours. Her digital team was bigger than ours. They got more money and funding. But I think the way that we used and executed the tactics was run much more like a business instead of run like a typical campaign. And one of the biggest flaws the Hillary campaign had was that they tried to copy the Obama playbook from 2012 and apply it to her when they should have come up with a unique an innovative strategy that applied to someone like Secretary Clinton, because you know I, I, there was one piece of passing wisdom that Harper Reid, who was the CTO of the Obama campaign, gave after he kind of left this world, which was every time a campaign ends, you should blow it up and start from scratch. And the Hillary campaign did not blow up the last Obama campaign and start from scratch. So we built the program that was very custom and unique to our candidates, because good candidates with good messages win elections, digital data, tech platforms, that all helps on the margins, but those things can't fix bad candidates. Mm -hmm. So we start with a good candidate with a message that was resonating with the American people, and we just pour gasoline on the fire with the type of techniques that we're using. And There are so many things to learn from this podcast, and I hope you learned a little bit there just through hearing that interview. Now, next up, like I said, I talked with Michael Bassetta of Soul Crew Media and Politics, so let's jump right into it. Go find Social Media and Politics at socialmediaandpolitics.samplecast.fm and from there you'll be able to find all of their social media. Um, as you heard, if you want to go follow their Twitter where they're most active, make sure you hit up SM&P Podcast. That stands for Social Media and Politics Podcast. And uh, that's on Twitter. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Let me know what you thought by calling in. It feels like the podcast was kind of made for Anchor almost in a way because Anchor itself is sort of a social media and uh, I think it'd be a really cool concept. But anyways, social media and politics, go check it out. I hope you enjoyed it and that'll do it for today's show. So I'll see you right back here tomorrow for a brand new edition of Podcast of the Day. The gatekeepers are these companies themselves, right? I mean, you have the, the company of Twitter or Facebook or YouTube. Um, kind of controlling in a way what gets put out was mm-hmm. that I, I and I understand it as I understand it it's been a fine line between what is like free speech and what's been the blocking of it um, have you found that is there going to be any sort of like commission being made to regulate any of these things or is it just kind of up, up to these gatekeepers in a way well, yeah, the question of gatekeeping is a really complex one because you're right and that the um, the providers themselves are the ones who are developing the algorithms. They're kind of steering like remember, Facebook didn't have a sort of news feed, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Right, it, right. And it, it did. At, you know, when it first started, it wasn't news. It was just your friends. And then all of a sudden it started changing to more mainstream news. And now it's more political news. And these are all calculated moves by Facebook. Now. On the other hand, you have the traditional media. They're still 
they still make up a large portion of that uh, gatekeeping. They're about half of the news on social media starts from the mainstream media. So they still have a power there. And then you have the, the idea that citizens are also gatekeepers because they need to be liking and sharing things for it to travel across social media. So right. who's the gatekeeper? It's like this mix of, you know, so many people. But but you're right in that the providers definitely set the kind of parameters for that. And in terms of regulation, um, there's been some moves uh, recently in the U.S., um, but it's still far behind the EU, where the EU is, is much more active in um, sort of right to privacy. And I think they, they had a regulation recently saying that users can um, basically file a, you know, a inquisition or a sort of petition to find out what their data is being used for. Mm -hmm. and, and then a provider has to respond and they can, they can find companies for, for promoting fake news. Um, so I think the US is, uh, you know, working its way there as we come to learn more and more about, you know, Russian interference and, and things like that. But um, I think the US still has more of this free market, let everything go, freedom of speech, as you said. And so, you know, they don't want to, Especially politicians, they don't want to jeopardize their re-elections for doing something right. unpopular. Well, that is extremely concerning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it is. Yeah, so I mean, this is so this is just available in in something that politicians work on then and and try and create is to get you in order to vote for them and an election season is to curate this feed for you. Right. Well, you know, and again, it's it. it I don't know exactly how it works, right. but um, essentially, you know, the idea is that first they need to get you to go vote. They need to actually get you off your butt and go out there. Mm -hmm. But there's only certain like they're not going to target you if they know that you're a hardcore Republican or a hardcore Democrat. Right. So it's kind of those people in the gray zone that they're that they're targeting. And the reason they can do it is because they're able to um, afford those data subscriptions, like they have to buy your credit card data. Okay. And that's very, very expensive. So it's it's more like at the presidential level, it's very, very, um, you know, that's where the money is, they can buy those things. But your 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 city uh, councilman is probably not doing the same thing. So it's not everywhere. But it's, you know, if you live in these key tactical points for the Republicans or the Democrats, they're, they're the ones who are, who are doing it for the big time races. And there's no law that says they can't do this then? That I'm not so sure about. Okay. But from the conversations I've had um, in the U.S., there's not many. Um, in, in the EU, there are. So, okay. uh, it, so they've it, got it, it figured out in a way. Exactly. Exactly. It differs. Um, and that's one aspect. Then you have the whole fake news and bots that are uncontrolled. Um, you know, it's not really in Twitter or Facebook's interest to necessarily stop the bots. So that's a big question about what are the laws that are needed, the regulations that are needed um, and are things that, that I'm not necessarily a specialist in this kind of legal side. That's more for the lawyers. Um and that's kind of what the idea behind the podcast is, is to interview people who know what's going on and get their input. And it's interesting how many are, are willing to come on and, and sort of share their, their, their insights. Right. You see um, a lot of these, these, I mean, I guess, I, essentially, who, who have you spoken with so far? I mean, is there just a wide range of people? You know, it's, 
it's whoever I can get my hands on. Basically, <laughs> I send out, or you know, I'll get a I'll get a um, a message from a friend about this meme they saw. Uh, for example, that was um one of the our, our best episodes so far has been um the people behind the Hillary for Prison Instagram account um, during the, the U S election. And that was because a friend had sent me a meme from this, uh, from Instagram. And I was like, Oh, let's get them on the show. Um, but there's been, um, uh, you know, digital directors from the big time U S campaigns. We've had Rand Paul, Marco Rubio and Donald Trump. Uh, they're, they're digital guys, uh, have been on, um, but also um, spokesperson for the European Parliament because I'm, I'm sort of in Europe, so uh, I kind of draw from from that a lot of Scandinavian uh, people as well. And what I've been trying to do more recently is whenever there's an election, I'll try to get someone who knows something about it, whether that's an academic or someone at a consulting firm doing research on some aspect of what's going on on social media before that election to kind of keep a current events uh, flair to it. Oh man, that's that's so cool. So I mean. I, when I when I first started listening to your show, um, I thought, wow, this is actually a really important thing that not a lot of people think about because I feel like social media can really play an effect into your political career, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Nowadays, I mean, it's becoming this this huge sector of of a political campaign. Um, have is was that kind of your inspiration in in doing this? Well, I think partly yes. And then the more I get into it, the more interesting it gets. And, okay. you know, so the funny thing is when I go to promote the podcast on Twitter, I'll type in social media politics and everything that comes up is stop talking about social media on politics or I'm sick of social media on politics. <laughs> but what's what's interesting and in, in interviewing people who've been working on big time U.S. campaigns the real good stuff, the juicy stuff is going on behind the scenes. It's not what you're seeing publicly. Mm -hmm. It's the micro targeting. It's the persuasive messages that are very racy. They're very controversial, but they're not public. So unless you live in a battleground state and you're, you fit the target audience that they're targeting for, you know, whatever reason, and they've matched you, they've matched you, uh, your data with, your credit card information, your Google searches, all of these things. And they decide, okay, we know this message will work for you. We're going to hit you with it in your feed. And you don't know it's a message. You don't know it's coming from the political party necessarily. And that's data that we can't get. So it is very influential and it's very sort of controversial. Um, I, I just spoke with, with Trump's digital director who was heading the digital for the Trump campaign. And he was saying the U.S. is just the Wild West. There's no regulations uh, in some cases, campaigns get exemptions from regulations. So there's a lot of sketchy stuff going on in those Facebook ads that um, we don't quite exactly know what's going on, but uh, it is very important and, it, and it's effective. It works. And, and 10 years ago, this never even existed. This whole sector never really, I mean, I guess you had it just through different mediums, right? Yeah, you had it through TV. Um, you might have paid protesters, whatever. You didn't know they were paid. So sure. the, the kind of same tricks are still there. But really bringing in all of this data that they get from online sources, like your Google searches, I mean, it's really, it's kind of scary what they know about you. And not necessarily you as an individual, but you as a group. So you're, with, you're within this age range, you're a male or a female, and you tend to like these other things. And then they can pre pretty much figure out what you're into. So in doing this, have you discovered things that you wouldn't have known otherwise? 
Yeah, all that stuff I was telling you about the data and then buying your credit cards, <laughs> I just learned about a couple of weeks ago. Okay. It's, it's uh, one of the interesting things is so um, so I'm researching this stuff and I'm, I'm publishing on it, and that takes a long time. That'll take to get a study published can take anywhere from one, two, three years. So okay. by the time you're getting that information, uh, you know the studies coming out are like from 2010, 2012, and this is. This is old news in terms of how quickly Facebook and Twitter have developed. So um, in, in, in this respect, it's like getting someone on the line who knows what they're talking about, who's on the forefront of how it works, um, is really a way to kind of shortcut that and get directly to what's going on now. And, you know, that's for the academics. But for the practitioners who work, you know, uh, I talked to a guy, one of our episodes is on the YouTube algorithm and how that might affect politics. And uh, talked to a guy, Matt Geelan, and that's his thing. He just, he works with the YouTube algorithm. He develops YouTube channels. And um, you can't really get that kind of insight unless you're talking to someone who only does that, right? right they right. could really give you the, uh, this is what, this is the, this is the truth. And this is, you know, what's not true and this is how it works. And it's great to get that directly, um, you know, and that's what I love about interviewing them is I can just ask them exactly what I want to know and, and they can, they can tell me with no hesitation. That's awesome. So I, I guess where, where exactly did that idea spring up for the podcast then for combining this idea of social media and politics and bringing it together in a podcast? Well, first I, I Googled to see if there was such a podcast and there wasn't, which, which kind of surprised me um, because it was also uh, around the time of the U.S. elections. And that's kind of when uh, it really exploded the whole, you know, Russian intervention and bots and all of these things are starting to come out, which we've been seeing in the research field, but hasn't really made its way into the kind of mainstream media. And um, I've always listened to, I wouldn't say always listened, but uh, I've been listening to podcasts for some years. Um, and it's just, you know, the thing about Copenhagen is everybody rides bikes and there's a high level of listening to podcasts because people put them in for their 20 minute commute on their bike. And I'm sure it's the same whether you're driving or whatever. But um, so it's just something that's kind of natural. And I was thinking, well, you know, started Googling, how do I do this? And it didn't seem too, too complicated other than getting the equipment and getting ever, you know, verified in iTunes. Right. Um, and, you know, I wanted to podcast because uh, for academics, um, they're really concerned with disseminating research and getting it out to the public. Mm -hmm. And usually you do that by blogs, but I write all day <laughs> at a computer. So <laughs> I was thinking, you know, it'd be much more fun to get someone on the line and have a conversation that I can learn from but I don't have to sit and think about what am I going to write and go through revisions and revisions. Just right. record it, edit it, and put it out there. So I'm a political scientist at the University of Copenhagen. Um, I'm from the U.S. originally, from uh, New Orleans. Um, studied abroad in, in Denmark uh, during my bachelor's and um, came back for my master's and, uh, and Ph.D. And uh, originally was working with far-right extremist parties, so um, okay. studying uh political parties that were very anti-immigration and um, got into the sort of programming side of, of things, started learning how to collect social media data and found that a lot of the stuff that I was looking at with extremist parties was showing up in the social media data. So I've been kind of going more and more um, into that route and, and looking at digital uh, communication and what we can learn from it. And I wanted to sort of start a podcast that would, that would blast that out to people who are interested.
would like to add for anyone listening to uh, to go ahead. If you have an idea about an episode or if you want something covered, you can uh, tweet us at SMNP podcast and I'd be happy to do an episode on it.